Hello and good morning, Centerway Church. I'm Deidre and I'm so happy to be welcoming you today. Hello to everyone joining us live on Sunday or anytime later in the week, and hello to any watch parties out there. For any guests joining us today, a very special welcome to you. We're so glad to be spending time together. To make it as easy as possible for you, I'm going to take a couple minutes just to share some information that will help you during your first visit with us. For the summer, we're mostly online with some in-person gatherings here and there, um, and we're looking forward to meeting you face-to-face -face very soon. But for today, as you visit online, we trust that you still feel at home. If you have questions beyond what I cover, you can learn more about us on our website. If you're gathering live on Sunday, there are a number of things that you can do on the live platform. You can share your information with us, and if you do, we'll simply follow up and get feedback from you. You can also explore next steps and find previous messages. And if you call Centerway home and would like an easy way to give, there's a tab to do that. During the gathering, if you have any questions or would like prayer, just request prayer and one of our hosts will answer you privately in a separate chat. If you're watching or listening any other time other than the live Sunday gathering, many of the things that I just mentioned can happen through our website. If you'd like to connect with us after this gathering, if you have questions, feedback, ideas, or need prayer, please email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. Speaking of connecting, some great ways to connect throughout the week include looking us up on social media and also accessing the online resources. If you visit our website and choose the messages page, you'll find all of our messages, including one that's just for kids. They'll sing some songs and hear from the same Bible text that we adults will hear from, but with kid-friendly content. If you have kids in your home, it's an incredible way to be able to discuss the application and grow together as a family. Also on the messages page are resources related to the messages like images that you can put on your devices, links to the Spotify playlist for this series, and access to the Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals. We're grateful for the incredible devotionals that our team creates, including written content and videos. If you'd like to receive them directly to your inbox instead of going to the website, you can subscribe on the Next Steps page. Before we wrap up here, I want to let you know that all the Wonder Week resources will remain on our website throughout this week. Also, I want to remind you to check out the calendar page of the website for upcoming ways to be together. Two weeks from today is Centerway's three-year celebration, and unless you're a guest today, we trust that you've heard about that. We're very excited and we love to celebrate these milestones. It's going to be a really great day. And today is great too. This is week 11 of our summer breakthrough series and we continue to pray um, for all of you for a breakthrough. We're also praying for all the families returning to school this week, whether it's homeschool, public school, or private school. Um, we're praying that our students have a smooth transition back to their routine and that our kids are salt and light in the community. Uh, now here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering. Meredith will be reading the scripture text for us, Claude will be communicating from the Bible, and then I'll close out the gathering with some ways to respond in worship. Now here's Meredith with the text for today. Hi Centerway Church, I'm Meredith and I'm going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 11 verses 10 to 16. Let's read together. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. 
but they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath, and strike it into seven channels, and he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. Hello and welcome. My name is Claude. My wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church, and we're excited that you have the opportunity to be with us as we continue in our series, Summer Breakthrough. And today's message is actually entitled Comparison comparison. Um, if you are anywhere around my age, um, you know, the, the days of going to arcades and, uh, playing in different, uh, different types of like simulated driving games and stuff like that. That was one of the things that I had the most fun with is when you could get inside this little vehicle like thing that had a steering wheel and you could drive around this stupid little track. It was really unimpressive now that I see what's available today, but at the time it was amazing. Like as a, eight-year-old, a nine-year-old, you could drive a car. And um, I remember one time in particular, uh, we went in there, we had some tokens and we put the tokens in and they had actually linked several of these together. This was like high tech. It was one thing to be able to race around a track and just race, you know, fictitious cars, um, other racers. But for the first time in history, they had linked them together in this kind of high tech arcade area. And you could actually race against your friends. And it was like, a whole new world. I just remember getting inside of the car and being able to race my sisters and we would just have to pay at the same time, right? They get, the race is about to start and it would start counting down. If you're younger than me, you probably have no idea what I'm even talking about. But in either case, trust me, it was cool. And so um, one of the things that was immediately distracting about this was when you were racing everybody that you knew around you, you wanted to know if you were ahead of them or behind them. And especially because there were several laps involved, you'd kind of get lost in the game. And so you would, we would actually start asking each other, am I ahead of you or am I behind? Who's in first? Who's in first? And so you'd have to look in this little <laughs> racetrack. And if you're my age, you're probably laughing about it, reflecting back on it. Cause there was this little racetrack in the bottom right hand corner. And you had to identify where you were and what lap you were on in order to see if you were actually ahead or behind. And so it was just a constant struggle. Am I ahead, am I behind? So much so that you'd look to the right bottom corner and you would end up wiping out. You'd get into an accident. You'd rear end the person in front of you or someone would hit you because you'd be distracted by trying to discover where you are. Where are you in the race? Are you ahead, are you behind? What is it that you have to do to try to win? And I wanna tell you, it's something that remains with us even to this day. In other words, it's not something that was like generational. The only difference is now the people that create games realize that we have this tension and that we're distracted by it. So I was watching my kids race playing Mario Kart, I think it's called. And I was watching them race against their cousins. And as I'm looking at this TV that's kind of all sectioned off in, the, in their race, I noticed something, something brilliant. In the bottom right, it doesn't say 
a, a track or anything like that, although the track is available, what it does, it says your place. It tells you what place you're in the whole time you're racing. In fact, at certain games they would play, their, their position would actually float above their head. So the whole time you knew you're in 11th place or you're in third place or you need pass somebody and it would go up to second. You're like, oh, and so you're not distracted. You know exactly where you are in comparison to everyone else. And so the question that I want you to ask and uh, I want you to consider, uh, we're going to ask as we move into the text today, is why do we focus on our differences? Why do we focus on our differences? And you might think at face value that an idea of understanding where you're at in a race is kind of disconnected from this idea of differences. But I want to tell you that it's not. As you get more involved into any type of game nowadays, it's it's not just how well you're driving. Um, Mario Kart is very much about what type of driver you have. Are they faster? Are they slower? Oh, no, you don't want that guy, Dad. He, he's really unstable. Or he's really big and cool, but he doesn't fire, you know, fireballs or whatever. You want this guy. They're stronger. You want this person. They're faster. I don't want to be slower. I don't want to be weaker. And there's all these differences and comparisons. At the end of the day, the route is the same. Whether we're playing a, a video game that is a race where we're trying to figure out where we are in place or whether we're playing some type of other game and identifying that we're stronger or faster, the truth, as unpleasant as it sounds, is that we love to compare and it's not limited to just games. We do it in life. We focus on our differences. We focus on our differences. We focus on our differences in order to gain clarity on where we stand. How are we doing? Ultimately, we wanna know so we can get ahead. We wanna win. And really, the entire tension is about self. It's about us. It's about me in that moment. We want to know where we stand in the grander scheme of things so that we can move forward, so that we can win. We want to know what place we're in to evaluate whether or not we're winning, not simply at the games we play, but at work, at school, at sports, at life in general. Are we getting ahead? What are our differences what does winning actually require of us in this moment? What does it look like for me to get ahead? What do I need to do to be a better version of myself? And it spills over into even the possessions that we have. We want to know how much someone else has to, to make sure that we can somehow have more. It's an identity thing for sure, but it's also a self-worth thing. If we think we're winning, then we're what? A winner, right? Right? I mean, man, if we're winning, then we're a winner. We matter. We're important. We're important compared to everyone else. If we do better, if we have more, then we think we're better. We think we're more valuable. We all do it as humans. And the proof is that as kids, no one has to teach us this. When we're playing a game, whether it's a video game or a game out on a sports field, we're keeping score. We want to know whether or not we're winning. It's part of the human condition. But there's a serious problem here. It's a serious problem because left to our own vices, based on the human condition, to feel better about ourselves, sometimes we have to devalue others. We have to push others down in order to get ahead. I mean... We can only win if others are losing. See what I mean? In order for me to win, I have to make sure that the people around me are losing. It's kind of 
this thing that never ultimately ends because once the game is over, then everything starts over. We have to win the next thing we try. We have to win again. And if we've lost, then hey, best two out of three. Come on, I, I need a second chance. I can, I can beat you next time. I can be better this time because there's always something to be earning. It's always a comparison game. It's always about our differences. It's exhausting. It's exhausting because there's always someone with more. There's always someone better. There's always someone that can run faster, that can jump higher. There's always someone that's a little further ahead. And so we focus on our differences. And as we consider our differences, we either feel better about ourselves or we feel lesser about ourselves. It's exhausting. It's lonely. And ultimately, it brings division. It's easy to focus on our differences. This is nothing new. In fact, the Jewish people did this and established a northern and a southern kingdom, as we've been talking about. The, the uh, northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And today's text actually addresses, addresses their focus on their differences, which ultimately led to them being cut off. It led to their destruction. The Jews and the lineage of Jesse specifically seemed to be cut off like a stump is the way chapter 11 actually began, if you remember from last week. But God always keeps his word and he had a covenant with, with the Jewish people. And so let's look at how this promise of God and this covenant remained intact and what the implications are for us today. Verse 10 says this, In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. I want to unpack that verse a little bit deeper because it's really the crux of what it is that we're talking about. The, the Jewish people were so enamored with their differences that it ultimately led to division. It led to competition and fear of one another, destruction, even a desire for them to protect themselves, so much so that they aligned with the Assyrians and all the things we've been talking about. The emphasis of this verse is on, in, in the original Hebrew is actually on the root of Jesse. The emphasis is around this idea of the root of Jesse, which means a human king from the lineage of King David. Now, King David, because Jesse was King David's father. So when we're talking about this root of Jesse, Isaiah is speaking specifically of Jesus, the root of Jesse, the Messiah, the Messiah. And it, it says, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, stand as a signal. The signal means literally a, a banner or a signal pole. Something lifted up so that all people can see. So, it's, so he will exist. He shall stand as a signal pole for all the people. Of him, so singular person, of him, the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. So Jesus will be a unifier. The Messiah will be a unifier of all people with all their differences with all the things that, that they try to, to separate one another with, the reality is he is the unifier of all people. And this little passage says his resting place. His resting place. The, the word used as his resting place in Ruth chapter 1 verse 9 is actually translated as home. 
So his resting place and home are interchangeable. In fact, in Psalm 23, 2, it talks about the waters of resting or the waters of home. So again, to kind of summarize, Jesus, the Messiah, is a signal pole for all people and his home is glorious. His home is a place of rest, a place of glory. So it means that where Christ is dispels all darkness and all division. Jesus is a unifier that sheds light into the darkness. All right. I want you to to kind of consider and and, um, focus for a second on the implications of that. The reality of all the differences that people possess and how Jesus would be the unifying um, person, the single unifying person for all the world. And we look at verse 12, it says, and it says, he will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So what we see in verse 12 is kind of a a further explanation. Verse 11 talks about all the different people, even outside of the Jewish people. And then verse 12 focuses on this division, this divided kingdom. And what verse 12 is saying is that the Messiah... Jesus will restore a divided kingdom. Isaiah is saying Jesus will be the unifier of the Jews. The problem is Jesus wasn't a unifier of the Jews, was he? Like when he came and walked to the earth, there was huge division. There were Pharisees and Sadducees, and the only thing they could really unify is that they wanted him dead. He was actually bringing division because he was proclaiming something that uprooted their perceived reality, what it is that they wanted. You see, they were living in order to win at this thing called life. And Jesus was presenting this idea of the gospel that was counterintuitive, that talked about being a servant of all, that talked about being last so that you could be first. And it it turned their kingdom upside down, this positional way in which they lived. And so it was actually disruptive. So what is Isaiah really talking about? Unifier. Was Jesus a unifier? Well, in Romans 15, 12, Paul uses this very section of Isaiah. He quotes portions of it to explain why the gospel is for all people, including the Gentiles. So The Apostle Paul is looking at it from a different perspective and saying, listen, Jesus is not just a unifier of the Jews. He is a unifier of the Gentiles, of all people. Jesus is for all of us. The Messiah is for everyone. But they killed Paul. I mean, wouldn't you think that a unifier would be someone that would uh, bring peace, that there would be this sense that everybody would be magnetized towards it? That's not what's happening because the gospel is actually disruptive. You see, Jesus is like a signal pole and his glory is like a lighthouse, both dispelling darkness and providing direction. The problem is the direction that he's providing runs contrary to our flesh. It's completely different from our thought pattern, from our perspective, the idea that I want to win, that in order for me to win, others must lose. And Jesus is saying, no, no, that's not what I'm trying to say. Listen, God wants to restore all of humanity. He wants to restore not only the Jewish people, but all of humanity. Here's the problem. We as humans focus on our differences. 
And because we don't want to look at the, the things that we have in common, we want to focus on the things that cause us to be better than others, the differences that we have. We don't want to come face to face with what actually unifies us. You see, it's not that Jesus unifies us. It's that the implications of who Jesus is unifies us. Let me explain. Get this. The one thing all of humanity has in common, the one thing that truly unifies all of us is our brokenness. It's our sin. You see, the Messiah unifies all of humanity in coming to the conclusion that we can never win. <laughs> that in and of ourselves, we can never do enough good. The truth of the gospel actually proves to us that we cannot be our own savior. And so therefore, Jesus is the unifier in the sense that we are all in need of a savior. We are all broken. We are all sinners. We don't like this. That's not a fun narrative. That's not a fun story. It's way more fun to talk about how if we can just add Jesus to our already awesome life, then we can be winners on even a bigger level, right? That's, that's way more fun to talk about. Listen, you think you're doing well now? Just add a little bit of Jesus. You start going to church and before you know it, your bank accounts will be full. You'll have more stuff than you'll know what to do with. Your life only gets better. Problem is that's not true. It's not true. The, the truth is we have to come to the end of ourselves and realize that it doesn't matter how much stuff we have, how much we think we're winning in this world, we continue the cycle only to conclude that everybody else is still further ahead. And so it's at the end of ourselves that we acknowledge that we're sinners in need of a savior. And that's what unifies us, the reality that we are broken apart from Christ. We say things like, well, I'm not as bad as them. I mean, I've done some wrong, but I haven't done anything like that. I would never do that, whatever the that is. We want to distance ourselves from our sin nature. We want to feel like we're better than that, that we're better than other people. We want to believe that we're different, that we're different. And so our differences in our humanity define our identity and it becomes destructive because that's human nature. If we're honest, though, if we're really, really, truly honest, in the quietness of our own mind, in the quietness of our own heart, we know, we know how wicked we are. We know the depravity of our own heart. We know the, the selfish moments that other people identify as noble, but we understand what our motive was. And as much as we come off looking good, we realize the wickedness of our intent when we help people in order to make ourselves feel better and other people praise us, but it was really a selfish motive all along. We understand all of the things that we do for ourselves, for our own identity. In the quietness of our own mind, we realize that we're sinners in need of a savior, that the thing that really does truly unify us is our desperate need for a savior. In fact, Jesus didn't die just for Jewish people, of course. He died and rose again so that all that call upon the name of Jesus could be saved. Jesus hung and died on the signal pole of a cross. And the banner that was above him was one that mocked him. It was a sign that said, King of the Jews. 
You could say that that was ironic, but it wasn't. It was declaring the truth before all the world that he was the unifier of the Jewish people, but that ultimately he was a signal pole for all nations so that anyone that calls upon him could be saved. He hung and he died and he rose again so that we might inherit his resting place, so that we may come home, that we may be identified as the children of the living God, that ultimately winning doesn't look like trying to negotiate being the savior of our own lives here on this plane, but to, to realize and acknowledge the brokenness of our ways, to humble ourselves and acknowledge that Jesus did what we could not do for ourselves and that hope and peace and joy is only found in him. You see, if you get it, if you, if you truly get it, if you truly understand the implications of the gospel, then you realize we are all sinners. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you aren't better than anyone. You're simply a sinner saved by grace, which means you should be an agent of grace, a carrier of hope and peace, not one that sows division or divisiveness, not one that pushes others down, but one that extends grace and mercy to the broken, to the burdened, to the heavy-hearted. Not so that we would somehow elevate ourselves, but because Jesus humbled himself, and so we are motiv motivated by the truth and implications of the gospel to love others because Jesus loved us first. In the midst of division, we would bring peace and joy that we would restore that we would be part of restoration as Jesus was. I love how one commentator reacted to this text. He said this, We who have embraced Christ and entered his kingdom should be fully dedicated to advancing the gospel by proclamation, not looking for utopian societies to come by flawed human governments. I love that. I love it because it speaks to the nature of humanity, right? That, that we, instead of trying to advance the gospel by proclamation, instead we're looking for utopian societies to come by flawed human governments. That in some way we put our hopes and our trust in the things of this world to bring us the joy and the peace we're looking for. But if we really understand it, if we've embraced Christ and entered his kingdom, we should be fully dedicated to advancing the gospel by proclamation, not looking for utopian societies to come by flawed human governments. It simply will not happen. It simply will not happen. I'm grateful for our country. I'm grateful for the freedoms that we have, for sure. But our answers are not in this world. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope cannot be in our human government or in our country or in our politics. They always fall short because we're, hum we're humans. We're sinners saved by grace. We're all called to be on mission in this broken world. We're to proclaim the gospel of grace, not to compete and compare, but to serve, to serve to love and humble ourselves, to celebrate the differences that we have, to realize that we can, we can disagree on the cares and the worries of this world, but we can be unified in the one true, ultimate, eternal thing. And that's that we are all sinners in need of a savior and that that is the mission we ought to be about. In fact, we say every week that the text requires something of us. And I wanna leave you with a, a question for you to contemplate and ask yourself. The question is this, how has God called me to serve in community? 
How has God called me to serve in community? Not compete, not compare, not struggle, not figure out our differences and argue. No, how is it that God has called me to serve in community, in the diversity of our community? For some of us, this means that we have to start by surrendering. We're still in the competition. We're still trying to to raise self up. We're trying to find self-worth. And we've never asked Jesus to be the Lord and leader of our lives. We haven't surrendered our lives to him. And so if you're out there and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to challenge you. It doesn't have to be something complex or a special prayer. It can be as simple as acknowledging that you're a sinner and that Jesus died the death that you deserve, that he died for your sins. Just to ask him, Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. Forgive me. You can be that easy. In fact, if you've prayed that prayer or some variation of that prayer and you're with us live, I'd love for you to to click on prayer. If you click on that prayer button, it'll put you in a private chat with one of our hosts and we can talk about what your next steps could be. We just want to celebrate with you. If you're listening or watching this later, you can reach out to us via our uh, email or our website and we can talk to you about the next steps that you can take as you navigate what it looks like to live on mission for the Lord. For others of us that have already crossed that line of faith, that have prayed that prayer, that would declare ourselves followers of Jesus, I want to challenge you. What does it look like? How has God called you to serve in community? Maybe it means literally serving. Maybe it means literally serving as a part of the community of Centerway. And so you can look at our website and see that there's opportunities to serve, even if you are um, still navigating what it looks like in your faith journey. There's opportunities for you to, to serve in this community. If you're a little further along and you've already served in some ways, but you've never participated in the Clarity Workshop, I just want to challenge you to take that next step. What does it look like to commit and serve in this community of believers, this beautifully diverse community of believers that just puts our hands in the circles and says, listen, Let's further the mission of God together. You can sign up for any of that on our website. Maybe it looks like something entirely different. Maybe you're already serving. Maybe you're already connected in a circle or whatever it might look like for you to be living out your your faith journey in Centerway attached in some way, whether in person or online. What does it look like then for you to live on mission? Are you a proclaimer of the gospel? Or are you simply a consumer of what Centerway has available? We say that we're not simply consumers, but that we're contributors. That's one of our because and therefores. And so if we're going to function as contributors, what does it look like for us not only to to serve, but to be proclaimers of the gospel and the way we live our lives, the way we deal with our time, our talent, our treasure? I want to challenge you to just wrestle with the implications of how God has called you to serve in community. In fact, as you consider that, I just want to close us in prayer and ask the Lord to move on our hearts. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we surrender our preconceived ideas of what it looks like to get ahead in this world. We admit that we get enamored by the cares of this world. But Father, we want to humble ourselves in light of the gospel, in light of what it is that you have done and who you are. And we declare ourselves available. We ask that you would speak to us, that you would lead us and direct us. Give us new ideas and uh, innovate our hearts and minds so that we could truly serve in community. And we could lay our differences aside and that we could function unified for the furtherance of your kingdom, for your glory and our joy. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Excited to be with you again next week as we continue and in fact conclude our series. Until then. Thanks so much for joining us online this morning. As you consider how you'll serve in community this week, remember that applying the text is one way to worship. We always say that there are many ways to worship, and it's true. Your prayers, your giving, your serving, they're all worship. And one way that we get to worship together is through singing. And we have the opportunity to do that today. When we gather online, we typically go live on Facebook and Instagram to sing together. We won't be doing that today, but if you visit our Facebook page, you'll find a song set waiting for you, and we can still worship together that way. So head over to Facebook and let's worship together. Have a great Labor Day weekend and a great week.